0: Let us pray. Calm us now, O Lord, into a quietness that heals and listens. Open wounded hearts to the balm of your word. Speak to us in clear tones so that we might feel our spirits leap for joy and skip for hope as your resurrection witnesses. Amen. Our first reading this morning is, can be found on page 1053 in your pew bibles there you will find paul's second letter to the church at corinth a reading from chapter 5 verses 6 through 17 listen for the word of the lord so we are always confident even though we know that while we are at home in the body we are away from the lord For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God, and I hope that we are also well known to our consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us, So that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, All have died, and he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. The word of the Lord. Our
1: second reading comes from... book of 1st Samuel chapter 15 beginning at verse 34 through chapter 16 verses verse 13 then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death but Samuel grieved over Saul and the Lord was sorry that he had made Saul king over Israel The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you should do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely... The Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. So Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. This is God's word for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, the book of Judges is, historically speaking, the book whose events immediately precede the book of Samuel. Now, hopefully, you remember what Dr. Massey taught us about uh, the time of the judges in his series on Gideon. You know, the five S's sin, slavery, supplication, salvation, and silence. And if you didn't remember all of them, I have to admit that earlier this morning I said to him, I've got four of them, but I can't remember what the fifth one was and had to have him help me, so it's all good. He didn't remember every detail. But basically, the story of the judges is a story in which there's a leader who who rules and there's peace in the land for about 40 years, which is kind of a biblical euphemism for a really long time. And then the people would get in trouble again. They would quit following God. They would be sold into slavery or have some other leadership arise that was not good for them. And God would need to raise up another judge to settle things down for a while. And this happens over and over and over and over and over and over. And are you tired of me saying over yet? Again, And the people got tired of this cycle, and finally they cry out to God, maybe what we need is a king. You should give us a king. We need somebody to take charge, to fix everything, to make us be like that group over there. They have a king, and everything over there is fine. So all we need is a king, and we're all good. And they get Samuel, the prophet, to argue with God And God relents and says, okay, I don't think you need a king. I don't think you should want a king. But I will give you a king. And so Saul is anointed the first king of Israel. Except as it turns out, God may have known what God was talking about. And having a king was not the best thing for the people of Israel. And by the time of the beginning of today's story, God has made it very clear that Saul is no longer acceptable for this work and is done being king. Samuel grieves, for Saul was his friend and his protege. He was the man that he had anointed king. But Saul had become too interested in his own power and possessions and his own decisions and he kept making decisions that did not fall in line with what God had asked him to do. He disobeyed God over and over again. And finally, God says, Enough. This is over. And this time, I'm going to choose a king. If you must have a king, I get to choose. And even though Samuel knew God was right and very publicly declared that Saul was no longer in benefit of God's support, Saul was still heartbroken and God has to go to Saul and say, okay, you have grieved long enough. It is time to move to new things. Go down to Bethlehem and see Jesse. Now Samuel is very quick to respond with his fears about what Saul will do if Samuel goes to anoint a new king. After all, while Samuel has publicly announced that God has rejected Saul, Saul is still the king. And kings have been known to be a little unhappy when someone announces that a new king is going to take their place. Just think about how happy Herod was to hear that the prophesied Messiah had been born. And I wonder, too, if Samuel's fear was a little, even a little larger than his fear of what Saul would do. I wonder if he was afraid that maybe the next king might be just as bad or worse than Saul. After all, God had said that any king was not the best choice for Israel. Maybe it was a fear of change. You know, we've gotten over that in this day and age. We love change, Right. But, you know, back in those days. And Saul made some bad choices, but, you know, he could get better. There's still hope. Or, or maybe not, but, you know, at least the one you know instead of bringing somebody new in. Or maybe it's just a little bit of Samuel's stubbornness showing, you know, God, I already anointed one king and that didn't go well. I don't think I'm going to go through that again. We resist God's instructions at times, don't we? After all, we've already been burned. When our hopes and dreams have been disappointed, it makes us at least a little bit more wary to do that new thing, to enter into a new relationship. Sometimes our fears prevent us from placing our hopes in any kind of leader, a political leader, or for wanting to wait through the process of finding a new minister or, for, or enter into a new friendship or begin dating again, try something new to start a new business, step out into a new thing. And we ask ourselves, well, well you know, what, what do I do if this is even worse than the last relationship? Do I really want to go through another change in my life? Maybe I just need to go find some place where things won't change. And worst of all, we worry that maybe if we try again and fail, that that means that not only is the world rejecting our choices, but God might be too. But God cuts through Samuel's fears and insists that he go where God is telling him. And after some persuasion, Samuel quits his grieving, calms his fears, and goes to Bethlehem, where Jesse begins to introduce his sons. Now, right off the bat, Samuel's got it figured out. I know why you sent me here. Eliab comes into the room. Tall and handsome, clearly a warrior, the eldest son, because, of course, who else is the best choice? God steps in before Samuel can pull out his horn of oil and rebukes Samuel. No, not this one. You can almost hear God saying, could you just stop and listen for a minute? God points out to Samuel that while outward looks are important to human beings, while we think we know the obvious choice, that God is most concerned about the heart of the one who would be king. Later, during the story of David and Goliath, we find out that Eliab has quite a temper, but no courage to actually stand up and fight when it's important. He would not have been the right one to be king, but sometimes it takes a while to understand why God is moving us away from what seems the obvious choice. Nearly 20 years ago, over 20 years ago at this point actually, I was searching for a church job in our new community in North Carolina, and I'd been in conversation with a couple of congregations, United Methodist at the time, as it happens. And I was talking to two churches, and one of them was, you know, fairly quickly discerned to not be a good fit on either direction, but the second one seemed like it should be just right. It was a church very much like the congregation I had just left in Tampa. It wasn't going to be an exciting thing, but comfortable, what I was used to. They were offering an acceptable salary. Their worship style and programming was exactly what I was used to. The minister seemed interested in having me come to the church. I had met staff, and it appeared that we would get along. And if they had called me in those first weeks after my interviews... I would have gone there. It was, after all, the obvious choice. However, as such things sometimes do, the process just seemed to drag on and on. They were going to do all of their due diligence. And I prayed about it, and I talked to friends, and I fretted about it, and waited rather impatiently to be chosen. And I began to get very frustrated and concerned and at least a little bit confused as what I had considered to be an obvious choice where I was sure they were going to call me and I was sure I was going to go there just didn't seem to be coming together. Finally, a friend suggested that I get on the computer and see if there might be some other churches that were looking Maybe look outside the Methodist denomination. After all, you went to Presbyterian College. Maybe you should look at a Presbyterian church. Maybe. And sure enough, I discovered a Presbyterian congregation just a few miles from our front door that was looking for their first full-time educator. And walking through that process with them made it very clear that God was calling me to that congregation, clear in ways that I had not felt with the other church. I did not yet even then fully understand, but I know now that God had directed me to where I needed to be. It wasn't a perfect relationship. I wasn't a perfect educator. They weren't a perfect congregation. And there were some times when I wondered whether I had made the right choice. But I can tell you now that I know that the path that I was placed on by God in going to Shaliford Presbyterian was the one that ultimately led me to interim ministry and that led me to this pulpit that led me to being now a part of this community of faith. And I know that I am not perfect and that we are not perfect. But I do believe that God calls us and tells us, when even against our will, sometimes we are made to stop and listen. God has Samuel go through Jesse's first seven sons, and none of them are the right choice. Samuel must have been confused and frustrated too. God said one of these sons would be the chosen one. And now we're out of sons. So he finally has to ask Jesse, is that all? Are, are there? Uh, we've gone through all the sons. This was it, right? But Jesse admits that, no, well, actually, there's one more. But, you know, he's the youngest, and he's out in the field with the sheep. We didn't really think he needed to be here for this. He couldn't possibly be the chosen one, could he? The youngest one with the sheep tending job whose father didn't even bother calling him in from the field. But when David walks in, now he too is described as handsome, despite God's earlier instruction not to look on the outside. But God also sees in David's heart, not just in his appearance, and tells Samuel at last, this is the one. And so Samuel is finally able to bring out his horn of oil and anoints David's head, making him, and that moment, the king of Israel, even though for right now that's still just a secret between Samuel and God. But the scripture tells us that the spirit of the Lord descended upon David at that moment and went with him throughout his life. David didn't turn out to be perfect any more than Saul. However, despite his imperfections, he had a genuine love of God and of his people and his kingdom is still remembered by the Jews for the way in which it united their people. His reign is remembered by us as Christians too, not just for what it did in our history and for the Jewish people, but because it was in David's city and to David's family many generations later that Jesus was born to bring the vision of God's ultimate kingdom to the world. So how do we know when we are being guided by God in making a choice? Despite his grief and fears and sometimes resistance, Samuel did stop and listen for God's direction. Even when it seemed confusing and the answer went against cultural norms and practices, Samuel finally figured out that he needed to just wait and listen for God's word. He then had a hand in anointing one of the great kings of our faith history. When he was willing to finally set aside his own opinion and allow God to direct the choice, Samuel found the one who was said to be a man after God's own heart. Now, you may have noticed there have been some changes around here in the last few years. And there are some pretty major changes coming in the next few months. And, like it or not, that won't be the end of changes that happen here, at MPPC, or anywhere, for change is constant and inevitable. Nevertheless, as a community of faith, you have some choices about how you will respond and whether you will listen for the word of God. And so today and for the coming days, what I pray for you and for me and this community of faith is this. I pray that we will trust the one who calms all fears to help us set aside grief and lingering anxieties about changes in the way things currently work or work towards changing things back to and imagine time of how they used to be when they used to be perfect. I pray that we will listen for God's direction and not jump too quickly into decision-making to fix what feels uncomfortable, that we will be patient and remember that the sustainer walks with us through times of confusion and even when the answers don't seem to come that we will lay down our resistance and our own need to exert our opinions over God's and truly listen for the voice of the Spirit. And most of all, that we will trust that God loves us and will not reject us and will help us when we ask. So may we all take heart from Samuel's story and with prayer and patience, Allow God to look into our hearts and direct the decisions that we all make, individually and together. Amen and amen.